About Empathy is a podcast about patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. This podcast gives voice to their stories. With each episode, we hope these engaging discussions inspire you to have more empathic, authentic, and compassionate conversations. I'm Dr. Dori Sekaracha, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Dr. Irene Yang. And I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. For years, we have worked together, taught together, and learned from each other in our roles as palliative care physicians. Thank you for listening. We're so pleased to be able to speak with Billy Bridges today, a legendary Canadian athlete. Highlighting just some of his many accomplishments, he's a Paralympic gold medalist and world champion in sledge hockey and was the youngest recruit to the Canadian sledge hockey team at 14 years old. He's competed in six Paralympic Games, winning gold in 2006, bronze in 2014 and 2018, and recently winning silver in 2022. This is all in addition to his being an amazing athlete in wheelchair basketball, being a motivational speaker, mentor, and ambassador for Parasports. He's married to another Canadian sports legend, Sammy Joe Small, a three-time Olympian as the goaltender on Canada's national women's hockey team. Welcome, Billy. It's so exciting to have you with us here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm wondering to get started, if you'd be able to help us and our listeners understand what it was like growing up with spina bifida and how it impacts your day-to-day life now. Sure. I'm pretty lucky in terms of spina bifida. I know there's several different Mm -hmm. variabilities of the disability and I have a colta and I'm just extremely lucky within my disability. I have full feeling in my entire body. I have regular bathroom needs. I don't have to catheterize. Also, I Mm -hmm. avoided having hydrocephalus, the fluid in the brain as well. And the expectations told to my parents when I was growing up were very low and my parents had just lost their first child right before I was born. And and I'm sure it must have just been rattling. But I ended up being, you know, as lucky as I could get on almost all fronts within my disability. And and obviously, with the opportunities that it ended up providing me in my life. And, you know, now that I'm a parent, I quickly realized that a child born with a disability 100% affects the parents way more than the actual kid themselves. Because when you're born with your disability, you don't know any different. And your entire life is basically just finding new ways to figure things out. And it's not necessarily like everything was taken away as if I got my disability later in life. And, you know, I figured it out. And my childhood, I remember it being a lot of fun. I skateboarded with crutches and I was on the wrestling team at school and just figured it out. And I was lucky to find the sport of sledge hockey. And, you know, obviously that just took off in terms of success in my life. And the expectations definitely changed from when I was born, that's for sure. You have a wonderful story that I read about how you're introduced to sledge hockey, a real human interest story, I think, with Colleen. I don't know if you're able to share that with our listeners. Oh, I'd love to. I was skateboarding in downtown Guelph when I was like 10, 11 years old. And we used to get in trouble all the time (laughs) for skateboarding in Guelph because it was illegal and I would get tickets. And so I was skateboarding downtown Guelph and I hear this older lady shouting from across the street like, hey, you. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. I get off my board and start walking away. And she's like jogging to try to catch up to me. And I'm walking a little bit faster and she finally catches me. And I was like, look, I'm sorry, ma'am. Like, I'll stop skateboarding. And she's like, what? No, I, um, what disabled sports do you play? And I was like, sorry. She's like, do you play wheelchair basketball? Like, what do you do? I was like, 
no, I skateboard. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then she turned around and pointed across the street and she said, well, that's my grandson, Brad, Brad Bowden. And he plays wheelchair basketball and sledge hockey and, and you're going to go play with him. And I was like, <laughs> "Amazing!" like, I don't, I don't even know what you mean. Like my mom works all the time. Like I have no way to get there. And she's like, oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll come pick you up. And that meant that she would have to drive like an hour to my place to pick me up, to drive an hour to practice and do that several times a week. And she continued doing that for years. And at times I would live with them as well. And Brad and I became best friends and teammates forever. And we were best man at each other's wedding. And just, wow, what an incredible opportunity and complete you know serendipitous moment in my life and but the amazing thing was is it, it wasn't for Colleen that was Brad's grandma's name is Colleen and Colleen went out every single day to try to make a difference in people's lives and she would see the inequalities and try to write them and she would see disabled people and would only see opportunity and what can she do to make it better for everybody else and you know I was so lucky to have found Colleen that's for sure or you know she found me. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Thank you. It's amazing how one person can make such a big difference in yes. your life. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you, Billy, is so much just general gratitude for what you have in life and, you know, the people you've encountered and how you've been cared for. But, you know, as an adult now and as a father, looking back, you must kind of reflect and realize that there were times where the healthcare system was not working for you. Can you tell us about a time where you feel like you had an interaction with the healthcare system or with a healthcare provider that was frustrating or suboptimal and how you feel that experience could have been improved? I mean, that's a tough question because I I do truly feel like I've been so fortunate. If anything, the toughest thing was that we had to move our entire family from Prince Edward Island mm. to the greater Toronto area. You know, we needed some of the best doctors in the world. My legs were shaped like question marks when I was born. They were fish hooks. As much as I complained about pain post-surgery, I had about 16 surgeries before mm -hmm. I was 10. As painful as I was at times, it wasn't until I was like 20 years old that my mom actually showed me some photos of what I looked like when I came out. I was like, holy crap, like no wonder why I was in pain. These doctors completely reconstructed everything. You know, the minor issues that I had afterwards were really nothing compared to what it could have been if I was born in a different country. With the income that my family has and, and what they could provide, there's no way I would have had all those surgeries. I would have just been going with the flow with what insurance could provide if they even had it. You know, I wouldn't have had any of these opportunities. And that's why, you know, I do have that gratitude and really don't have too many complaints. I mean, most of it is just pain and the pain would have been there whether I was getting treated or not and where I was for the massive surgeries that I went through. Everything, at least in my mind, went pretty good. And who knows, like, because you're going through it and because you're a kid, because you don't know any different, maybe things didn't go that well. And my parents would have known, but when you're in the thick of it at that age, you don't know any different. Yeah. <laughs> overall very positive experience it sounds like but your family did have to uproot themselves mm. from their home to be able to access some of that care yeah certainly but my father was also in the air force so he was all oh. about uprooting <laughs> us anyway oh, fair, yeah. enough, fair enough i mean it was better to have moved to trenton in ontario <laughs> than to cold lake alberta or something so sorry listeners in cold lake <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes Speaking of opportunities, as a Paralympian, you really had the chance and the opportunity to travel all over the world. Can you tell us about places you visited or experiences that you've had that highlight excellence in accessibility? Yeah, absolutely. 
100% because of sport. I've been lucky enough to have traveled to over 35 different countries in the world. And certainly I've seen the full spectrum of accessibility. And a lot of these countries just have innately provided that accessibility for centuries. Like I've taken my wheelchair up the Acropolis in Athens. Wow. And this is what's always blown my mind about accessibility is there's been moms pushing strollers for for how long? Like when was the stroller invented? Like yep. centuries ago. Since then, why is everything, especially like everything in a public domain, not ramps and wheelchair accessible? And a lot of Europe just kind of transformed all of their massively historic landmarks to make sure that everybody can experience them and that's what I really loved about traveling through Europe at times you're trying to wheel over cobblestone which is one of the most difficult things that's about as difficult as it can get is those cobblestones but so many of these cities with cobblestones will have a little portion of the cobblestone path or street with cement in between the cracks that are exactly like a foot and a half from each other the width of a wheelchair or stroller and that goes along all the major routes and it doesn't affect the facade it doesn't make the city look any less historically beautiful some of those things that i've seen around the world that just kind of make sense are pretty incredible and just seeing the acceptance of people with disabilities as well and and what they're allowed to do like i've been to third world countries where people just help you figure it out and you know a lot of those people wouldn't have had access to the type of care that I would have when I needed all those surgeries and so they've made a society where it's everyone is trying to help include more people it's just generally more accepted to help somebody or to allow somebody to do what it takes to help themselves and that's what would drive me insane sometimes when I would come back to Canada and I'd be at Pearson Airport just taking the escalator up because that's what people in wheelchairs do is it's completely easy and normal and and like I would have police officers screaming at me and trying to ticket me for a ticket that they have no idea what's going on and trying to change the minds of people and their acceptance of accessibility and disability I think is more difficult than just trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that leads into another one of the questions around ableism. And I think what you're speaking to in terms of like the design of cities and the structures that are in place that disadvantage you know, individuals who are disabled, I think you're really well positioned to help our listeners better understand what ableism is and what the negative impacts are for individuals with disabilities who are either seeking out healthcare or really just trying to live their day-to-day lives within that structure. That's a loaded question. I feel like ableism is just a lack of trying to understand Mm. what someone else is going through. Ableism to me is like empathy. Mm. Like, why are we not just trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes Mm. and trying to see it from a different perspective of what someone could possibly be going through? And I think that's the biggest roadblocks that I've met in my life have come from people that are just stuck in the idea of this is the way it's done and this is the way it's going to be done and we're not going to change. And if you can't use my facility or do this, then I'm sorry, it's not for you. And I absolutely hate that mentality. I despise it. In my life, I have a quad on my left leg. I can stand. I can use crutches. But I use a wheelchair for most of my life. But I'm lucky enough, like if I run into an obstacle, I can 100% just make it work. But I am in the 1%. I feel like I'm the billionaire in the world of disabled realm. I can overcome any of these obstacles if I have to. But why I try to raise a stink about things is 
for all those people that can't, for all those parents that are just so frustrated and trying to get their kids into a accessible school or all these things that are still not accessible completely blows my mind. But I've also just seen the impact that accessibility can make on people when a workplace is accessible and also has employees with needs that are all met and just seeing the difference that that can make in their life and in society. And I think one of the most amazing things in my life that happened, I was like 18 years old, punk, wheeling through the mall. I was in a store. Someone actually came up to me and they're like, sorry, you work here, right? I'm just trying to find the size of these pants. And it was funny. It was just, it was such a haphazard moment. Like it gave me goosebumps. And I was like, oh no, I'm sorry. I don't work here. Um, I think I had the same colored shirt or something. The lady was like, oh, okay, no problem. But I just thought that that was so incredible that she thought that I worked there. (laughs) And then I started going down the wormhole in my mind of like, well, why do I think that Mm -hmm. if I saw someone like me, I wouldn't think that they work there? You know, that's what ableism is. Mm -hmm. And that's where you realize how hard we need to work on it as a society where someone like myself, who is obviously fully into disabled sports and activism and rights, and I'm on Accessibility Standards Council for Ontario. And I still have so many moments of understanding where we belong and why we don't belong there and, and how much I need to work to include everybody, you know, in that space. Then obviously someone who's not at all involved really needs to to work hard to open their eyes to the needs of others. And, you know, it's something that we have to be aware of and work on all the time. And it's no different than a lot of the other things in this world that are going on right now socially that we've all come to realize are inaccessible or inacceptable and what we need to work on to be better at it. And I love people with those attitudes because those are not the people that are ever going to stand in a disabled person's way, but literally tens of thousands of others that are fighting that change so much that become the problem. And generally, they're the most able-bodied people. (laughs) It's, It's so difficult. I think that's really well said. Billy, you talked about empathy and Then you just said, you know, about people who maybe don't have empathy standing in the way of making change, perhaps, because you're confronted with that. How do you keep being empathetic in your role as an advocate for sports, to be inclusive as a father, as a husband? Where does that empathy come for you? To me, empathy 100% comes from your own effort to be aware and your own awareness and to not appreciate how difficult that can be at times, I think is, is a misstep in this journey to become a more acceptable society. I feel like sometimes it does just take effort. There's times where I wheel up to a door and, and someone has sprinted across the parking lot to open it for me because to them, they see me as like someone who must need help and can't do it myself. And yeah. and some days, like I really think that person or I talk to that person about how I can open doors or what people look like who can. And, yeah. and then some days I go to a different door and I give that person a dirty look. And then I start wheeling away and, and I just feel so disgusted of myself. But like, why did I do that? You can get so lost in your own ideals at times and your own ideas But I think we all have to appreciate that that's like, it's okay. We're human. It happens, but you have to be aware that that was wrong or you have to be aware about the treatment of others of what other people are possibly going through. That person who did that for me might have a mother in a wheelchair who can't push herself at all. We all have just such different perspectives in this world. And if we don't appreciate that about everybody else and we think that our 
ourselves are the most important person in this galaxy. I think we're totally amiss and we're going to block ourselves from making this world a better place and making ourselves a better person for this world as well. That's a great answer. Thank you. Someone's been studying philosophy. (laughs) I see that. (laughs) Billy, you've shared with us your own personal experience and the advocacy work that you've done for individuals who have a physical disability. Can you tell us more about other advocacy work that you've taken on for individuals who have a non-visible disability? As difficult as it is for someone with a physical disability, a non-visible disability must just be so difficult. It's something that I'm trying to educate myself more and more on. You know, it's one thing if people can't understand why my space needs to be more accessible when I wheel up to a set of stairs. Hmm. But I could only imagine, you know, the lack of understanding that someone with a non-visible disability must face on a day-to-day basis. And it's those kind of disabilities that we're trying to help in so many different spaces. And I'm the accessibility coordinator with Hmm. the Toronto Six. And it's obvious when someone in a wheelchair comes that they need a wheelchair seat that's accessible and viewable and easy to get to. But it's another thing with someone with much different needs that are non-visible or or that I don't understand about. And that's what I'm trying to work so hard to understand. We've had some parents help me put together packages for the Toronto Six games that have a weighted blanket and noise-reducing earmuffs and fidget toys and things that they can do to make their child's experience or who they're giving care to. Also, it allows families to be able to go out and watch these games and appreciate sport in a space that usually isn't made for them and usually doesn't include them. We have quiet rooms and we just try to facilitate so many different needs. And it's been really enjoyable trying to educate myself for the needs of so many different disabilities that I never knew even existed at times. And I feel like it's a position that we should all take in life trying to appreciate what other people are going through because we're all in this together. So why not? That's wonderful. That's amazing. What a great example. And I think it's a great example of perspective taking and empathy in action. So such a compassionate approach and something that other sports organizations and groups would adopt. What a great idea. Yeah. Billy, at the end of all our interviews, we ask someone if they only knew. And I'm wondering about what's the one thing you would like people to know about how to help others if they have a disability? Sure. This is something that I've been passionate about lately is that the disabled people that we see in this world are A, on TV shows who aren't disabled, those people who aren't in wheelchairs, but they're showcasing the disabled mm-hmm. person in these realms. So at least it's there, but you know, we need some more disabled actors. <clears throat> Cast me. Yes. <laughs> or we're seeing Paralympians and we're seeing, you know, Rick Hansen, we're seeing Terry Fox, we're seeing these disabled people who are absolutely incredible phenomenal athletes and activists but they don't represent the common disabled person you know and like obviously in the Paralympic realm there are sports that include much more disabled people or various disabilities Mm -hmm. that are more representative of disabled people in Canada and around the world but these disabled people that we're seeing in the limelight are the outliers. They are the Marie Philippe Poulin, the Michael Phelps, Michael Jordans of yeah. disabled people. And we need to appreciate everything that those people can overcome and do are an outlying factor that is completely incredible, but it doesn't represent the difficulties that an average disabled person would have to go through in life. The effort that it took for me to win a hockey game could be as comparable as it is for someone to transfer onto a low toilet. 
there's so many things that get in the way if we're not opening our own eyes and us disabled people are included in that because if we're not speaking up, you know, then the voices of those other disabled people are going to be completely lost. And that's what makes us know that that it's important to fight for equality and accessibility in the disabled realm because the voices are so minimal. We're so few and far between as it is as high-end disabled athletes that what we choose to use our voice for completely matters. And most of us are scared to put ourselves out there because there's still so much pushback in this world and in this socially accepted society that we have that it can shut us up really quickly and make us feel like Mm, we should just be put in our place. And that's what we're trying to change is we're trying to just change the place. And I think that that's what a lot of people might not appreciate and understand. And all it does is it takes effort of awareness to be able to appreciate what someone else is going through to make that change. Very nicely said. Thank you. I think that's why we're so thankful that you were willing to join us today and share your voice and your perspective and your stories, because I think like you highlighted, it's about representation and you do that so well. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys are the best. (laughs) You're listening to About Empathy. This season of About Empathy has been funded by the Gold of Fine Award through the Temi Latner Center for Palliative Care at Sinai Health in Toronto. The Temi Latner Center for Palliative Care's vision is to allow patients and their families to experience a seamless system of caring through the embodiment of its core values of humanity, collaboration, innovation, and communication. To learn more, visit tlcpc.org. Welcome back to About Empathy. I found that to be such a wonderful interview. I just loved his energy and his positivity. I was very struck when we talked about the idea of ableism, how he brought the concept of empathy into it and to Mm -hmm. combat ableism, to approach it from a place of empathy and to think about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I just thought that was such a wonderful perspective and something for all of us to think about. I really loved his example of the work that he's doing for the Toronto Six right now. Because for me, it was an example of him trying to provide an inclusive space for a disability that he wasn't familiar with, right? And he was so humble about his approach, reaching out and talking to parents, trying to figure out what the needs are. And it reminded me how it's not enough to, you know, try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, quote unquote, but that, you know, sometimes with empathy, you really have to be proactive about trying to learn about what someone else is going through. And how you do that is through representation, having people at the table who understand a variety of perspectives. You know, I just think about how ever since becoming a parent and needing to push a stroller around Mm. and needing to bring my child for a COVID test when she was like three years old, those things that, you know, before I was a mom didn't even cross my mind. And now those things have become everyday frustrations that add up. So I can't even imagine someone living with a disability from day to day, what they're going through. And I realize now I have a lot to learn in terms of understanding how to create inclusive spaces in you know the area where I work. 
And I really appreciate it as a mom of someone who has a non-physical disability, what he was talking about doing with the Toronto Six, providing the weighted blanket, things to play with or a quiet room. I just thought that was so wonderful because for parents who have children with autism, those little things make such a big, big difference. And I'm so happy that things are getting better as we move on in the future. I thought that was quite wonderful. And it took a person with one sort of disability who's now promoting, like you said, Irene, who's looking at people with different disabilities. And how mm-hmm. wonderful was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was a great example of empathy yes. in action. I think if yes. you look at definitions of empathy, it has more to do with perspective taking, try to understand another person's perspective and experience, and then reflecting that back to them so that they have a sense that you're trying to understand either cognitively or effectively what they're going through. But that was really empathy in action, which is often you know referred to as compassion. And I think he shows so much compassion in you know the work that he does in the advocacy, but also you know, practically speaking. So complete admiration for him. And also, like we were talking about, just bringing in his voice and perspective and his story, I think is so important, especially because of everything that he's done has been so impressive and he's been so successful in so many ventures. And I think that's really important because if you look at studies around the general public and even healthcare providers, you know, when they're asked to try and determine or estimate what the quality of life is for someone with disabilities, their quality of life is substantially underestimated Mm -hmm. by both the general public and healthcare providers. So I think bringing in those stories of resilience and vitality and success, I think, are so important. The other thing I admire about Billy as well is that he's so filled with gratitude, especially, you know, in his interactions with the healthcare system, which I think is really spectacular because we work in healthcare and we know the drawbacks of healthcare (laughs) and that it is often less than ideal spaces. But I think his gratitude is admirable. Mm -hmm. That was wonderful to hear, actually. That he had good experiences. Makes you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Makes absolutely. me feel better <laughs> to hear that. But, you know, obviously recognizing that there's others who have more challenging and frustrating experiences with the system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think going back to that piece about representation that Billy brought up, you know, when he was bringing up like names like Michael mm-hmm. Phelps and really just outstanding individuals, like you could put Billy's absolutely. name there, right? And mm-hmm. so he's still an example of excellence and we need more examples that cover a vast array of people's lived experiences to truly mm-hmm. understand what gives them quality of life and what will help them feel like they're in an inclusive space. Mm-hmm. I really liked his examples as well of other places in the world. I Mm. I wasn't aware of how other countries help people with physical disabilities, like they're much better at having ramps and access to really wonderful places. I just thought that was really good to know. And there was a lot we could learn in Canada from that. And it's great that he's promoting that here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That making it accessible for some people is not going to be like a huge burden for the rest of society, right? Like it doesn't take very much to make people feel like they're more included. Right. Overall, I thought that was just a wonderful, uplifting interview. And I wish Billy all the luck as he works with the Toronto Six, because that sounds like really important work. 
Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is much to be learned in the stories of the people we care for and work with. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic conversations. We'll be back next week with another story. Subscribe to About Empathy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, or listen on our website, aboutempathy.com. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others find us. Each episode will be added to your app when we publish. Please share our podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and health professionals. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the website. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner and Sarah May. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded virtually and funded by the Gold of Fine Award through the Temi Latner Center for Palliative Care at Sinai Health in Toronto. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.